This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Judith Zawatsky. Judith is the Assistant Commissioner for for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. She leads efforts to simplify and modernize FAS systems and oversee the operation of government-wide federal award systems, better known as SAM.gov. Judith, first of all, great to see you again and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, well, Judith, um, at least I've been around for a long time, and I know you know about these things, uh, but I thought it would be good to just talk a little bit for the listening audience, um, you know, f- especially those who are of more recent vintage than myself, about um, where, 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 you know, the sort of underlying policy and operations of, of uh, SAM.gov originally started or things that I had to do back in the dark ages uh, when I worked for GSA and things like the commerce ba- daily uh, business notices and also having to affirmatively maintain mailing lists for solicitations and send them out. Um, can you talk a little bit about, the, you know, we've come to, a, you know, internet age and it's all online, but back in the day, you know, we, we had to do the same sort of things, but only, you know, essentially by hand, right? Um, Yeah, so um, back in those days, I was in the private sector, and one of my very first jobs working for a government contractor was as a temp through some accounting company, and um, the job they gave me, and I really thought this was insane, was to take this onion skin (laughs) material that arrived at the office And you couldn't use a highlighter because that would rip through it. You had to be careful what kind of pen you use, all the rest of it. And to go through this onion skin minuscule, I guess they gave it to me because my eyes were still young, minuscule typeface and try and look for potential opportunities or notices. Um, And I just, I knew that was insane. And it's bizarre to me that I ended up, you know, my career just... (laughs) brought me right back here but that's where I started or and standing by the fax machine waiting for um solicitation notices to come in right it, uh, yeah that onion skin that you know so today we sort of have the modern version of it right but um much much better but but even you know the thing I recall when I worked at GSA in the office general counsel and advising you know clients didn't different acquisition centers is you know you, you used to have to maintain affirmatively maintain a mailing list um, where you would send the solicitations, especially for the schedules because um, everything wasn't electronic, right? And you had actually had to send it out. The government did um, and had sort of an affirmative obligation. And I remember having bid protests about notice and whether or not um, someone actually got the solicitation and knew about a closing date and that sort of thing. And there's a presumption of, you know, of, um, you know, that the government a- had done it when, when you, when you produce that mailing list to the, to GAO, it's amazing, 
amazing how much got done given uh, the way we had to do it um, back in the day. But, and, but, but what you work on now really is the modern version of a lot of this stuff and it's vitally important. So I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the transparency and just the overall importance of transparency to you know the american people and and ultimately to enhancing competition and access to the commercial market and then we'll get into some of the uh neat stuff about sam.gov and where things are going but could you talk a little bit about that first um yeah so i think you know back in the day when you were at legal counsel i was on the other side of the table um maybe working with some of those firms and those bid protests and um definitely felt the, the pain and um, concern around the, you know, potentially being left out of an opportunity or not being given fair consideration or, you know, I, Roger, can remember, you know, it's not pre-internet, but it's almost pre-internet, having a principal, you know, engineer pick me up at home in the middle of a snowstorm to get in, to be able to finish, you know, cost uh, write-ups for bids and get them copied and then bring them down to the building and, you know, sort of standing in line. And so it is, um, you know, a lot of pleasure for me that my career, as odd of a track that it's taken, has brought me to an opportunity to improve this process, whether or not it's transparency or whether or not it's opportunity or whether or not it's customer experience, all of those things sort of come together in this world. Um, and having been the user on both sides of the table, it, it, it's, it's a lot, I don't want to say it's fun, but it is a lot of fun. It is certainly, um, you know, something that I have a great deal of respect for. So, You know, I like to talk about the days before I came to government, whether or not, you know, we're talking about Mark Foreman and the entire EGOV initiative um, or, or others who really led this way to say that, you know, we have a lot of departments in the U.S. government and under those departments, we have a lot of agencies and components and each one of us is special. We all know that we've done it the right way, that we have the best solution. And in some cases we do. And in other cases, there's a lot to learn from others. Um, And what is very important is that there is a pool of contractors. My world is greater than just the contractors, includes financial assistance and grantees. But there is a pool of contractors some being other than small and some being small disadvantaged and and of every ilk and every background. And we want to make sure that all of them have an opportunity to see what the government's doing. So the history of this whole world was to say, hey, every agency, maybe you don't need to do it separately, right? Brought together, when we move forward from CBD, we brought together um, CCR, you know, the online reps and certs. And, and that was, you know, like a fundamental shift, earthquake in how the government works, which is to say, we're all going to shake hands and we're going to do this together in some way. And um, even before I got involved, but, you know, back in, back before, we began to look at how we can focus all of our efforts to make it easier for industry to comply, industry to participate, because not just participation, it's also compliance. Um, and um, 
how we how we bring all those requirements together. And it, it's messy and there are a lot of arguments. And then at the end of the day, we get to some really good solutions. Um, and, and sometimes the solutions um, need to be iterated on. And so that's been a great process. Um, so that's kind of where we are, which is, you know, moving away from 24 CFO Act agencies, each doing their own thing, to the governance that brings all of those requirements together so that contractors aren't doing commercial reps and certs every time they right. want to respond to a solicitation so that they're not sharing their size standard every time they want to respond to a solicitation. So they're not tracking on 24 or more agencies all putting out opportunities, but have one place to go and look at that. And, and that's the journey we're on. We're, we, we've combined all of those. And our next part of that journey is to create, and we've largely done a large part of it, a single ecosystem, which really allows people one place to go instead of 10 systems, one ecosystem, one works one work stream um, and a greater sort of 360 degree picture of the data moving really into digital government. Yeah. And w when you're describing that, I just, it's huge for, for industry, just so you, like you said, so you're not constantly having to recertify each and every time you submit an offer. The flip side, as you're describing that to me was, is the idea like, you know, the, you know, each individual activity, now has a central platform where they go can go announce their requirements. I mean, it was there before, but but it's evolved to a point where you know no longer, for example, do you have to keep that mailing list and potentially produce that to show that you actually contacted a company. Rather, you're using the internet and a single platform. It's very powerful. Uh, Judith, we do have to take our first break, and when we come back, I want to you know get into some of the details and some of the the fun stuff uh, in terms of the evolution and development of. Sam.gov and where you are and, and what it means for industry. My guest today is Judith Zawaski. She's assistant commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Judith Zawaski. She is the assistant commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. She leads efforts to simplify and modernize FAS systems, and which we'll talk about in a bit, and to oversee operation of the government-wide federal award systems, SAM.gov. Um, and that's where we want to start the, the conversation uh, during this segment. And um, Judith, I'm just going to you know, turn it to you and say, uh, what's the latest with regard to SAM.gov and how are things going? Um, so things are good at SAM.gov um, and, and things are growing at SAM.gov. And these are words that I um, speak with an incredible amount of joy and uh, respect for the team that's done this. Um, as everyone who is listening to this show, I am sure knows, um, we went through um, two big changes um, in April and May of this year. Um, in April, we applied a new user experience and sort of face um, to the front of what we all loved was beta.sam.gov. Um, and then in May, we brought over the uh, entity administration, that's what we would call it, um, in, over into that environment. And it's been... Um, a very interesting 
journey. Um, very, very successful. We, uh, the usage of the systems from an IT perspective, the amount of traffic that we're getting on the systems has, you know, really exceeded not what we expected, but beyond what we planned for. And the system has been, you know, great and responsive. Um, from a, a user experience perspective, um, we have been able to enhance the way that we're using analytics. And so we're really not only talking with users, but we're walking in the background. We have some great diagrams going on about how users are transacting on the site um, and whether or not they're using some of the new capabilities we had. Um, because our job and our expectation is to create something that is user-friendly, that allows industry and federal officials alike to be able to use the systems um, we've enhanced the security a great deal at multiple levels down um, to help not only secure the systems, but also mitigate against fraud in the systems, um, which is very important to us. And um, so overall, I'm pretty darn happy. Right. Are there any, um, can you point to some, uh, you just mentioned security and, you know, and the layers down that that, that you've done and, and addressing you know, f- a fraud. Can you talk a little bit about um, what you've done with regard to f- that fraud piece, uh, how you're addressing that, uh, you know, w- with regard to folks coming in and registering in the system and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, Roger, we hold the data for um, more than 700,000 700, entities that are or wish to do business with the government. And that is email addresses, that is financial information, that is corporate information. And so we take very seriously um, our partnership with law law enforcement, our partnership with the um, CISO's office to make sure that we're doing the very best we can to secure those data. Um, so not going to talk about everything that we do, but one of the things that we did, um, as you know, to use SAM, we uh, partner with login.gov. Um, and with this modernization, um, we did put out a voluntary uh, entity verification process for entity administrators. So those are administrators Those are users who their entity, their organization has assigned them a role to manage certain pieces of data and the use by other people in their organization to update their things. And so we put in a a IAL2 level uh, requirement, not requirement, but voluntary. We've been very pleased with the voluntary adoption. In 22, we expect to make this mandatory for all um, entity administrators, but this has been an opportunity for us to see the adoption, to work with login on some edge cases um, where people have had difficulty, be able to inform where it's working well, um, and really give entities a greater sense and, and true sense of security of their data and the management of their data. Great. So, um, you know, with regard to the, to, to also, are there other, and you mentioned other functionalities, are there any ones you're particularly pleased in terms of how, you know, the rollout of new, the new functionality has, you know, improved the overall performance and, and, and access for the private sector? Um, yeah, I would. 
so you say private sector, I'm always going to include my federal officials in this. But remember, for the private sector to be able to work with government, we want to make sure that the federal officials can do what they need to do so that you're meeting in the middle. So those are both very important user groups for us. Um, A goal that we've had for a long time in bringing these systems together, now I would refer to them as domains or functions, is to be able to create a workspace so that when you log in and you identify yourself, you go into your own workspace. And if you are following certain organizations or certain opportunities, whether or not you want to know when they release something or you want to know who won it, um, or you also want to be able to do reporting on your own entity, you have that workspace. So the overall goal is not just to bring these 10 functions together and then expand upon them, but to also make it easier for people to do it. And almost like you get to choose your own journey because you get to select which filters we provide for you and how you want to look at things, what things you want to follow, what things you want to search. And you don't have to recreate that every time you're coming in. Right. Can, so if a company has done that, can ind- individuals within the company create sort of their own different profiles or is it just a single... No, that's exactly right. So um, it will happen for anybody for the company, and then they can also share. So if you've created a search, but you want your colleagues to see this search, they can share that search to someone, Um, just like in the reporting. Um, You know, we moved over some time ago all of the reporting out of FPDS into SAM.gov. And if you, Roger, were to go in and create an ad hoc report to look to analyze some data out of FPDS and you wanted me to see it, you could share that that report to me so that I could then go in and look at it, manipulate it, understand it. So that's very important. So that person you're sharing with would get a notice that, hey. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, and another thing uh, um, with regard to, you know, I know it might be a longer conversation, but we can start it now too. Just um, from a training perspective on, you know, on the system itself for government and industry folks who want to learn more about it. Um, you know, what, what kind of training, you know, uh, resources have you guys created to support it? Um, so we have a great training team um, and they've been working on everything from, you know, five minute videos, which you can find on YouTube um, or, or if you're a government official at FAI or on our own Interact or FS, uh, the Federal Service Desk to um, long um, training sessions, you know, full 45 minute user walk us through training and um, we pretty much will do them at will as organizations such as the coalition will come in and say, Hey, we have a group of contractors who are interested in, um, and, and not just the coalition. Um, but we have a lot up at federal service desk. We have a lot up, um, in on YouTube. Um, and we continue to do them. Anyone who is interested in finding training, um, can go to SAM.gov, and there is a great help section um, with both knowledge articles and um, access to uh, videos and training. You can go to the Federal Service Desk itself, or you can go to Interact, GSA's Interact page, and we absolutely always post 
I mean, we've had training session monitors where we've had in excess of 1,400 people sign in to, uh, to learn what's going on. And we record them, we post them. Anybody who asks any questions, we always make sure to get those questions and answers up so that people can track on them. Yeah, and I have to say, Judith, our experience just generally is the outreach to to, on, to industry, because that's who we are, um, has been excellent in terms of the willingness to come and provide training and just answer folks' questions. So we, you know, and I know folks really appreciate that. Judith, we're up on the break. When we come back, I want to continue talking about STEM.gov and some of the other aspects of it. First, maybe we talk a little bit about F- FPDS and where that is. Uh, my guest today is Judith Sawatsky. She's Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Assistance Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Judith Sawaski. She is Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. She leads efforts to simplify and modernize FAS systems and oversee operation of government-wide federal award systems. And uh, part of the award systems, uh, yeah, Judith, is reporting on the actual awards themselves and, that, and, and the money that's spent, and that's FPDS. And so I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little, provide an update on where FPDS is and how things are going with regard to that reporting um, you know, platform within SAM.gov. Uh, yeah, so FPDS, of course, is the compliance site for all of procurement awards um, to for the government to report in, and, and, and we do manage that. That is, I would say, you know, the from a data perspective, that's almost like our scary site um, because there is so much data in there, and uh, it's important that we keep track of not only the current data but all of the historical data because people really want to know the history of And um, so that is why it was not part of the early stages of modernization. Best to learn and um, get up to speed. And then, you know, when we did uh, SAM, we were able to move over in excess of 700,000 entities and millions of users and all of the data that they have and all the roles. So we're feeling um, pretty darn proud of our skills and ability to manage that. FPDS itself, the report into that site still remains at the legacy FPDS and the report out all of the standard and static and administrative and ad hoc reporting, that functionality has moved into SAM.gov. So that's really where the user comes. Um, Most of the reporting into FPDS by and large by the federal government is coming in um, electronically is being, you know, very little hand jam into it. Um, so it is it part of our modernization effort. It, we will start to turn our heads, not that we haven't, but in a more public way, we will start to turn our heads in that direction. Yeah. So uh, I've, one of the things that historically, as you, as you well know, is um, from a FPDS perspective is, you know, over the years, there's, you know, some concern, I guess, would be uh, a politically, you know, correct way to say it about the data that goes into the systems, you know, because you build a great platform and it's only, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's dependent on the data that goes into it. And, but over time, I think we've seen an improvement in, you know, the reporting and the, and the, and the data. Can you talk a little about how that's evolved over time? 
Um, yeah. So as you're, you're correct, I have responsibility for managing the systems and ensuring they're secure and ensuring there's access. I don't actually have responsibility for making sure that the data are correct. But we do, that being said, we do partner very heavily with all of the agencies and, of course, our friends over at OMB and also um, separately with Treasury um, regarding USA spending. Because USA spending from a procurement perspective is truly the transparency site. I'm like the geeky site for procurement nerds, um, and they are really the transparency site. Um, and I have seen over the years, because we partner with the agencies on these IVNBs, on these independent validation and verifications of the data, I've seen an enormous increase in the, you know, that comparison. Really what happens behind the scenes, in case anyone wonders, is they really compare what was in the contract file with what got reported into FPDS. And senior procurement execs across government give a thumbs up on their accuracy. Um, and I, I have seen over the years sort of a transition to new data fields as certain things become more important or less important um, or an opportunity grows to improve the quality. Um, certainly, we support that. Yeah, um, it, the, the, the platform in and of itself, um, you know, one of the things I think I've gotten feedback on, it is a lot easier to, to you know, track and pull out information. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how you've addressed that and then you do that. And then I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the American rescue plan and your role in that. But just from a functional perspective for FPDS, I know it's a lot easier just from our use of it that um, to pull down the information. And, you know, how did you go about achieving that? Um, so we went, first of all, we had some really good product owners um, who were very, very smart in the world of data and really dug in to understand all of the fields in FPDS. FPDS has a, I would call it a persnickety uh, data dictionary. Those uh, fields are defined in policy and in regulation, and they're not up for interpretation no matter what any particular user feels. And so it was very important that as we modernized um, the report out capability, that we stayed um, with a great deal of fidelity to that data dictionary um, and worked with the federal officials across government to make sure. Um, we did create new reporting capabilities. Um, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, they're not the USA spending easy peasy ones, they are really for people who want to understand deep dive into that FPDS data dictionary and understand it. Um, but we worked with a lot of users. We worked with users in industry. We worked with users in government. We worked with uh, data experts um, to make sure that our goal was to make sure that two people given the same assignment could use the same data tool and get the same results. Right. Right. Is, you know, our data quality. Goal. And you, 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 you sparked another question that I think I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts on is over the years, one of the things that, you know, you, you hear people criticize government systems because they're slower, clunkier than let's say the private sector. But at the end of the day, you mentioned policy, you know, and policy drives at the end of the day, the policy requirements and reporting requirements that are created drive the st what the systems have to be able to do. And I think people, and that can be fundamentally 
you know, more complex, frankly, than, you know, private sector systems um, in terms of what you have to, because of all the different stakeholders and all the different, you know, elements that of data that, that the government wants to, you know, parse with regard to, you know, the procurement system. Can you talk about that, that challenge of policy driving systems and it may not be quite the most efficient approach, but it's meeting, you know, multiple sets of requirements. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the process, it's incredibly efficient, but going in, it is, you know, um, a challenge. So we, the team at the Integrated Award Environment over here at SAM.gov and the rest of us, um, sit as advisors to um, the CAC. We work very closely with agencies, whether or not it's SBA or EPA or our colleagues over at OMB, to track on policy as it's making its way through the process. So while industry is looking at policy, we're looking at policy. We're paying attention to what industry is telling the government and the regulatory process. We're looking at executive orders. We're looking at 2CFR and always working with those stakeholders who have an end result that they want to understand the best way to implement it into the system. Just like, you know, we talk about DevSecOps, we're in security, we try to do the same thing in policy, which is not to bolt it on in the end, but to actually follow the whole way through so that we can be advisors and really drive the right outcomes so that when people say, well, we want people to comply with X and we want to be able to get the data out and we want them to be able to see the data. So that is a whole nother side of what we do um, to make all of this work on the outside. Right. And um, Judith, we're up on the break. So when I come back, I'm going to ask you about the American Rescue Plan and the role SAM.gov plays in it. And also hope to ask you a little bit about GSA's progress on some of its systems within FAS. Okay. My guest today is Judith Zawaski. She's an assistant commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Judith Zawaski. She's Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. She leads efforts to simplify and modernize FAA systems and oversees operation of government-wide federal, federal award systems. Uh, and Judith, uh, with regard to those uh, federal award systems, one of the things I know you guys are playing a, a part in is in terms of uh, supporting the American Rescue Plan. Can you talk about the, your role in that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, very concisely, uh, the government has issued a lot of grant programs and authorized a lot of our agencies across government to get grant money into the economy to help uh, both the economy recover and, of course, the uh, health of all of those companies that make up the economy and those communities that make up the economy. So uh, one of the interesting things about SAM is that uh, federal grantees also must register in the system for award management. So when I look at that, just to give you an idea of what we're looking at, we're looking at more than probably $300 billion in federal grant money that the agencies are trying to get out. And I have about, let's say, 700 to 750,000 entities who are registered in SAM, both for um, 
depending on, you know, procurement or uh, financial assistance. And I would guess that across all of these programs for the American Rescue Plan or the Consolidated Approach, there have been in excess of 300 to 400,000 entities seeking grant money. Um, so this has been a huge opportunity for us to rise up and support um, all of these agencies. We've worked with uh, Treasury, just to give you an idea, Treasury, Transportation, SBA, the Federal Communications Commission, um, USDA, some of these for very small grant programs and some of these for enormously large grant programs. Um, we have stood up uh, special processes for the agencies. We worked to make sure that we had the tools in place. A lot of these uh, financial assistance uh, recipients, you know, they don't do business with the government. They're not interested in doing business with the government. And we want to make sure that they get registered in SAM and understand what they have to do as quickly as possible so that the agencies are able to get the money out to them. And it, it's been actually a real honor to work with the agencies and these grantees. And, that, and that's an ongoing effort, right? And it's probably going to continue for, for a fair amount of time. Yeah. So we, you know, we don't, we don't get the sparkly money. What we get is um, a lot of um, opportunity to help people who are getting, giving out the money. So it sort of goes unnoticed until we actually have to make it. And I would expect, um, you know, I, I don't know, but I haven't seen the infrastructure plan yet, but I would expect that as the government continues to work with that, our role will expand. Right. So I want to just, I want to give you a last sort of um, opportunity to talk about SAM.gov and just, you know, what do you see coming next and how does the industry stay, stay abreast of, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the developments with regard to SAM.gov? Um, so first of all, industry should, if you're not already, should um, pay attention to us at Interact, GSA's Interact page. We have tens of thousands of people and companies that um, are registered with us at Interact. Right now, what is coming up in this top of our mind is the migration over to the unique entity identifier um, and behind that, the entity validation services that go with. Um, in October, entities will be able to come in and, and start to use that tool. We've been working with the agencies and hundreds of systems that transact um, the unique entity identifier. The date to keep in mind is April 2022 when the GSA issued unique entity identifier becomes the authoritative source and the DUNS number therefore goes away. Um, it's been a multi-year project and the team is 100% focused on, on getting there. Right. And people can follow that development and that effort through GSA Interact, right? Through GSA Interact, there's also a public-facing page um, at gsa.gov. If, if you were just to go to gsa.gov and search on Unique Entity Identifier UEI, um, someone would come up to it. All of the uh, information is there. We have a technical interface community that works behind the scenes on all the technical. But from a public perspective, I would go to that GSA um, webpage, and you would have the very latest always. Well, Judith, they don't give you the easy tasks. I mean, that's a, just a major undertaking, right? For placing the dense numbers, right? Uh, um, wow. <laughs> so, so yes, it's a major task across government. And, and I also, you know, we talk about the uh, FAS systems. 
So we also have, you know, in excess of 30 FAS systems that transact currently the DUNS number. And so we have a team um, working um, with GSAIT and all of the business owners of those systems to make sure that FAS itself is ready right. to transition. And um, so doing it on both sides of the house right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, that's going on across government in terms of p- people having to think about that that change in their systems. Um, and you brought, it up, uh, brought up FAS, and I, I did want to give you an opportunity. We spent, you know, most of the show talking about SAM.gov, but do you want to give an update on what's, uh, what are your key priorities within FAS and what you're working on? That would be great. We got about uh, four minutes left in the show. So got right. time to talk about it. So very quickly, I want to give a shout out to uh, Becky Kosis and Valerie Tran, um, Keona Cobbins. They have been leading the effort um, for our Calm contract writing system. We did run a pilot um, in ITC with more than 100 contracting officers um, who didn't have a contract writing system. So that seemed like a great place to see. Um, and it's gone incredibly well. You know, the feedback on the training, on the usability, on the functionality has been great. And now we have started to train some of our contracting officials in travel, transportation, and logistics um, on the system. So Becky essentially is taking it home to her own home team. Um, and we will grow that across all of the others, you know, into this next phase, we will bring in professional services. So we're going to partner with Tiffany's team further with Laura Stanton's team. And of course, with the multiple award schedules um, and um, begin to move them all in there. And it's very, very exciting for us. So from your perspective, what what, what are the benefits of the developing the contract writing system is, you know, does it, will it help? you know, integrate all the data across the agency? And, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the key benefits that that people Um, will see? Yeah, I think from from two perspectives, Um, as far as user experience, we want to make sure that the contracting officers are focusing with industry on quality offers and quality awards when they're focusing on going between system and system and having to pull data and hand jam it in and keep track of things, then they're not focusing on quality. Um, and these are very talented. I have a lot of respect for the COs. So we want to make sure that we're giving them a much better user experience that does the work for them, where we can bring in AI, bring in AI, where we can share data, share data. Um, so they're not doing that. So that's the number one thing. Then the second thing is the more we're able to create a unified system, not unlike what's happening over at SAM.gov, the more we're able to use those data and rely on those data for good information, whether or not it's around halt procurement acquisition um, cycle time, or whether or not it's about making sure we understand who a company is and asking the question maybe one time instead of seven times, things like that, where we can reduce that, then, then that is also very important for us. So I would say around data quality, sharing of data, and definitely making sure that the acquisition workforce has a reliable, excellent set of tools that does a lot of the work for them. Well, Judith, that's perfect. We're right up at the at the end of the show. I want to thank my guest today, Judith Zawatsky. She's Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Systems Management within GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. 
You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.